Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to have my friend here with us, Dr. Joel Kahn. Joel is a practicing cardiologist and a clinical professor uh, of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan Medical School. He's known as America's Healthy Heart Doc. He is triple board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular medicine, and interventional cardiology. He is a practicing cardiologist working with patients every single day in the clinic. He uh, is incredibly brilliant when it comes to understanding longevity, anti-aging, heart disease prevention, and healing, and uh, excited to have him here on the podcast. Joel, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you. We're going to have a great conversation, a lot of energy, and love what you do, and I love that we can talk a little bit about heart disease with your audience. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably the, you know, leader in this field today, certainly in terms of looking at preventative medicine for heart disease and lifestyle medicine, lifestyle approaches, diet, nutrition, lifestyle changes for helping people not only prevent heart disease, but then if you're diagnosed with heart disease, what are the changes you need to make? Because um, a lot of cardiologists out there are, you know, primarily prescribing drugs and or surgery. Right. Whereas you look at the condition and you say, hey, what's the underlying causes here? And then how can we address those as part of a holistic or functional medicine or even integrative medical approach to heart disease? So, you know, what what is it about you that like what in your life triggered you to the path that you're on now and actually helping teach and educate people, um, not just, you know, prescribe drugs and surgery that's necessary when it's necessary, but actually help people change their life and their health for the better. Sure. And I'll just, uh, just to follow up on what you just said as an intro, you know, you can call Mayo Cleveland Clinic, Johns Hopkins and say, I want to see a preventive cardiologist and you're going to get a good person, but it's largely pharmacology based. I'm not saying they won't mention diet and they won't mention sleep and lifestyle but it's largely what combination of drugs will get your numbers to excellence. And it, you know, nowadays could include Wagovi and all other things. And I have that same toolbox. You have to have that toolbox, but it's very limited in terms of, you know, integrative functional, uh, plant-based. And I don't really love the word holistic, but that's no more an email I get. Is there a holistic cardiologist in my town, Jacksonville, Florida, whatever. And the answer is usually, unfortunately, I don't know of any, uh, you know, there is a little club. Dr. Kim Williams, MD, is now chairman of medicine in Louisville, a plant-based cardiologist, but right by, as he should be, by the guidelines, which are usually drug-related. And Baxter Montgomery is a cardiologist in Houston, and Columbus Batiste is in uh, Orange County, and Steve Loam is in, I think, 
if I remember the Chicago area, but he may have moved. But it's it's a handful of us. We need to make a society of plant-based plus cardiologists. Uh, and it's growing in number, but it's still pretty uh, skinny. My story, just uh, in under three minutes, I hope, um, I was born with a detectable heart murmur. And I started seeing pediatric cardiologists before I remember that. Uh, my mother got very nervous and my father too, of course. I actually had a heart catheterization I don't remember when I was nine months old and I had a little hole in my heart. That story ended happy. It closed up. I didn't need surgery, but I did start seeing a pediatric cardiologist till about age 18. And I actually thought it was pretty cool. That's a true story. I would go downtown Detroit and have tests or you know, EKGs or ultrasounds or something. And pretty much by age 12, 13, 14, I would have answered the question, what are you going to do when you grow up? And my mother smiled and beamed when I said, I don't want to just be a doctor. I want to be a heart doctor. The second thing, and these are small bullet points, is we grew up in a home where we kept kosher, uh, traditional Jewish dietary laws. Um, it was a conservative Jewish home, but that was important, uh, particularly to my mother. Um, so it's interesting because it's the ultimate mindfulness before you put a fork or a spoon in your mouth. You're at a party, you're at you know, an event, a wedding. You think for a minute, is this right for me? In that case, it was more religious rules, not necessarily whole food, plant-based science rules. But you know that's been my entire life. And when I went up to university at age 18, which was in Ann Arbor, I realized real quick that the only situation I could easily eat without worry would be to become vegetarian vegan. And I started that at age 18. We had a huge salad bar in my dormitory. And Ann Arbor was a very, you know, hippie, veggie, vegan kind of community, even though we didn't use the word vegan. And that's the last time I ate animal food was when I said uh, goodbye to mom and dad and drove 45 minutes uh, west of Detroit. What year was um, that? What's that? What year? What year was that? That was 77, 46 okay. years ago. So, it's, so, you've had, so you haven't had meat, you haven't had meat or dairy for or four, eggs in 46 years yeah. or eggs, no animal yeah. products whatsoever in 46 no years. Product. And, and no, you're, and you're still, rule, and you're still alive and healthy. I can't believe it. How's I just possible? got an IV. I got a protein IV a minute ago to keep me going. So I could do this. <laughs> uh, yeah. you you walk around with an IV bag every day to, the, to give you protein, protein and amino acids. Yeah, I'm not in the protein deficiency war. It is a common meme shows. But my parents, interestingly, about the same year, went to the um, Pritikin Longevity Center, which was in Santa Monica, California, and they spent a week or 10 days. And my mother came back and like, well, what used to be a meatloaf became a lentil loaf. And what used to be a beef stew became a tempeh stew. And it actually just like I got surrounded by all this stuff early on, uh, healthy choices. And, um, you know, not long after I was in med school early at, in Ann Arbor, and um, I heard about John Robbins and that book called A Diet for New America. And that really expanded my view, talked about the environment, talked about animals, talked about health. Obviously, I didn't get any real training in medical school about this stuff. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. 
Com. All right, let's get back to the show. And the last bullet point is 1990. I had my first job. I had been out of state, Dallas and Kansas City. I came back to Ann Arbor uh, to take my first real job as a cath lab cardiologist. Balloons and stents and heart attacks. Extremely exciting, hardcore, macho, macho, macho career. I didn't really tell anybody about my plant-based diet. I will say I existed three years in Dallas with my wife and kids as a vegan in the 80s, pre-Whole Foods. That was tough. I existed for a year in Kansas City doing an extra year of training as a vegan. Um, you know, hospital dinners and events. Uh, it was tough. Sometimes it was awkward. Sometimes I didn't eat, uh, but I kept it going. Uh, but in 1990, July 1, I started my first job, great job. And three weeks later, just to finish this story and it's done, um, uh, Dr. Dean Ornish published a paper in the journal Lancet called the Lifestyle Heart Trial, demonstrating that his program, which was based on a whole food plant-based diet, plus uh, stress reduction, plus socialization, plus yoga and breathing, uh, could actually be documented to reverse heart disease, which was the first time that was really shown in a high quality way. And I can to this day remember reading, because there was no online, uh, the paper journal called The Lancet from England with his article in it and said, I should probably start teaching people what I'm doing, because I didn't actually tell the patients much about it. And he had a book that came out soon after in hardcover and paperback. And I just started telling people, read the paperback. That's all you had pre-internet. Uh, and then that became easier with Forks Over Knives and China Study and Dr. Esselstyn. And uh, 12 years ago, I said, I just, I know my nutrition. I want to learn about the rest of the lifestyle holistic. So I went back and got formally certified in integrative cardiology through a wonderful organization and kind of threw the stents away uh, a decade ago and only do, you know, coaching, counseling and actual cardiology care in about 25 states, because I have a lot of licenses. Uh, I'm based in Michigan and part-time in Florida, but uh, I can help you in California, New York, Texas, you know, Pennsylvania, and some of the other biggies for sure. Thanks for asking. You know, that's my story. It's a little, uh, you know, personal, but um, uh, it's given me a nice, you know, platform of years and years of being able to help people. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the some of the confusion or misunderstanding or misinformation about what actually constitutes heart disease or risk for cardiovascular disease, right? Because some people think just uh, high cholesterol numbers is heart disease or an indicator of heart disease, but then they don't understand ApoB or even know to look at those biomarkers, for example, or, you know, look at the particle sizes of the cholesterol and so forth. Like, can you talk a little bit about that and help people understand what actually is heart disease, like what actually constitutes cardiovascular disease? Sure. Probably not controversial to describe what is heart disease. Certainly controversial about what's the risk factors and how do you evaluate it? And we can go into all that. So um, really quickly, the number one concern is coronary artery disease, often abbreviated CAD. You know, we've got, I just brought a little model I use with every patient. We all are born with perfectly clean arteries. I'm going to talk about the heart, but brain, legs, kidneys, sexual organs. <clears throat> and unfortunately, unlike some other mammals, uh, we're very prone to clogging them up. Uh, not as a child, except for a rare genetic condition where your cholesterol might be a thousand called familial hyperlipidemia. But 
And by our 20s, 30s, and 40s, we're clogging our arteries way more than we should. By age 50, it's about 50% of us clearly have detectable heart clogging, whether we know it or not. It's usually silent. And after World War II, um, soldiers came back smoking. Mothers went back, went to work for the first time. There was double income families. So nobody was at home cooking dinners, a lot of carry-in, a lot of you know grocery store, a lot of frozen food, fast foods. Uh, there actually was a dramatic rise in heart attacks. Uh, then President Eisenhower had an almost fatal heart attack in 1955. Our government started spending a lot of money on this topic. What's high blood pressure? Why do people have heart attacks? Why in the city of Minneapolis did they track very carefully at the university this rise in executive heart attacks, important people in the city in their 40s and early 50s, many of whom died, uh, other parts of the world. And we could go through how they figured that out. But by the late 60s, early 70s, we established like the Framingham study outside of Boston, five big factors that put you prone to heart disease. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. That's so important. Put you prone. Are you a diabetic? Of course, we don't ask the question, the root cause. Why are you a type 2 diabetic? But are you a diabetic? Do you have high blood pressure? Same thing. We don't ask the question, root cause, but do you have it? High cholesterol, same question. And usually nowadays, mainly LDL cholesterol. That's pretty much in cardiology what we care about, which can also be measured perhaps more accurately by apolipoprotein B or ApoB, an inexpensive and valuable blood test. Are you a smoker? That came on the scene, of course, after the cigarette companies denied, denied both lung cancer and heart disease. And then do mom, dad, brother, sister, particularly ever have an early heart attack, early stroke, early bypass, early angioplasty or stent? Big five. In reality, and to this day, that's the five that doctors ask. That's the five that go into a calculator you might do yourself or your doctor might do to predict. You're 48 years old, you're at the doctor, you're stressed out. You know, Doc, what's the chance I'm gonna have a heart attack in the next 10 years? You're gonna fall back on 1968, 1972 kind of data and calculators. Hey, I just wanna pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're gonna absolutely love healing life at healinglife.net you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors experts cancer conquerors and survivors exclusive interviews that i have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online they're only available at healinglife.net so not only do you get access to all of those but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. In And the blood work reflects that. The blood work I see, this is not a criticism, just reality, that the usual general practitioner, internist, gynecologist, and, it, and usually cardiologist does, is the same blood work we did 40 years ago. You know, you're general panels, your straightforward cholesterol panel, maybe fasting, maybe not. 
you'll get a blood sugar and you know probably that's it in reality there's at least 20 other things you can check that are really important uh certainly four five six seven of them are crucial since we're talking about it i'll just dive into that you know you have to know if you inherited from mom and dad a cholesterol called lipoprotein little a that's a mouthful l-i-p-o protein and then lowercase a um, discovered in 1963, inherited by 20 to 25% of all people on the planet from one or both parents. It sits on chromosome six, if you have the ability. Your liver always makes cholesterol, every one of us. But 25% of us have two production lines, make an LDL cholesterol, and we have the ability to make this other one, sometimes referred to as LP little a or lipoprotein little a. There's been a blood test for it for 20 years. Only in the last four years, like the European medical society say, everybody should have it checked once earlier, the better. So you can say, Nathan, you know, you didn't know this, but you're carrying a high level of a cholesterol that does not show up on the routine panel. If you know your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol, you do not know your lipoprotein A level. Some people have no ability to make it. Some people make a little bit, but it falls in the normal range. African-Americans make a little bit more than Caucasians. And some people just have a high production ability to make it. Lipoprotein A is like your LDL cholesterol on drugs. It causes atherosclerosis, not in everybody. It's a risk, but in many. It causes inflammation. It causes blood to clot, which is called thrombosis, which is what happens when you have a stroke or heart attack or lose a leg to uh, circulation problems. It also causes your heart valve called the aortic valve to get scarred and a sizable portion of people that need their aortic valve replaced, that's because they were born with lipoprotein little a. You just ask your doctor, please check it. Uh, I have written a book on the topic a couple of years ago. It is the only book on the topic in the world, which is crazy. And partly there's no prescription FDA approved drug for lipoprotein little a. All the drugs you've heard of, Lipitor, Crestor, work for LDL cholesterol, APOB, but they don't work for lipoprotein little a. So the pharmaceutical industry has four or five really hopeful ones in the pipeline, like far advanced, a couple of years from now. And when they're released, if all goes well, they'll be available as an injection. They're going to come out at 10, 12, 15, $18,000 a year. They're going to be very restricted insurance approval. But for people, many of my patients, they've had heart attacks, stents, bypass, they'll be in line to get these drugs. And for the first time, we'll have a powerhouse to reduce it. There are, I'm going a little deep, but niacin as a vitamin can help lower it. There's some data plant-based diets can help lower it. Just modestly, niacin can lower it pretty uh, uh, substantially. Hormone replacement therapy in a woman of menopausal status can lower it. A few other tricks. Amla. Amla is a Indian gooseberry powder capsule. So that's one. You need to know inflammation. At least know your high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Please ask for that. You should probably check your homocysteine, a metabolic product uh, involving B12 and B6 metabolism called methylation. Very inexpensive, widely available test. A lot of people are slightly abnormal, but some people, again, from birth, there's a genetic input, have extremely high levels, and you just got to get on a B vitamin, and it comes right down to normal range. So it's so easy to treat in most people, um, and it makes a difference long term. Maybe you want to know your three-month blood sugar called hemoglobin A1C. 
in addition to your fasting blood sugar and maybe a fasting insulin. Uh, there's so much fat around the belly in America nowadays that there's a lot of frank type 2 diabetes, something we call pre-diabetes, which is not innocent. It's quite a disease in and of itself. And then let me ask you a question about insulin resistance. What percentage yeah, that's right. insulin resistance, right? Yeah. What, what percentage of your cardiovascular disease patients would you say have insulin resistance? Yeah. Um, it's not as big as you read on Twitter because there is, and Twitter is, you know, an interesting site. Many academic doctors and cardiologists are on Twitter and give the university viewpoint of things. But there are many, you know, university professors and bloggers and trainers and nutritionists. And you'll hear, you know, it's not cholesterol, it's insulin resistance. Um, you know, I think it's around 40% of America is judged to be pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic and under 20% of children. But, you know, massive numbers, terrible numbers. And we do now know if your doctor says you're pre-diabetic, that's basically a lab panel diagnosis. You're just not bad off enough to be called type 2 diabetic, but you could be if you gain weight, change your diet for the worse. You could also go the right way and lower it. Um, and prediabetes is very much a disease. But, you know, those are all forms of insulin resistance. But if you do the advanced testing, fasting insulin. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse, and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the Panacea Cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight, and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out The Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, The Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out if you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse. It's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Um, is there's something Quest Lab does called an insulin resistance score that I do on patients. They do have to be fasting blood for that, so they have to come to the office prepared or do it at their hometown prepared. Um, I'd say about 25%, not as high as you read uh, on you, the internet. Now I have a lot of plant-based, yeah, I have a lot of plant-based patients, you know, they pre-select themselves sometimes because they're more lifestyle oriented and maybe I'm seeing a little healthier population. I see plenty of people that are still, they literally walk in my office 
with their yellow bag of McDonald's and, and please, <laughs> please. Uh, so do you, do you topic. test for insulin resistance uh, with your patients? Is that one of the tests you guys do with everyone? Yeah. If you, again, Quest Lab has their version. There's a popular lab called Boston Heart Lab. There's a you know, LabCorp. They will offer at least get a fasting insulin. Again, Quest does something called the insulin resistance score because they measure a few more parameters. The final test that is difficult in terms of awkwardness is that old fashioned two hour glucose tolerance test. Right. They give you a bottle of you know, glucola, 75 grams of glucose. You get a baseline blood test, ideally your blood sugar and your insulin. You drink the stuff and for the next two hours, they repeat at least at one hour and two hours. And well, some people that are pretty good will just, and now people are wearing, of course, continuous glucose monitors. And, you know, if you're eating and your sugar is over 200, you're insulin resistant. And, you know, if you're waking up in the morning and you're fasting insulin 118, you're undoubtedly insulin resistant. Right. Which we know is a basically a precursor to just about every chronic disease on the planet from diabetes to cancer to heart disease, et cetera, to to neurological disease. disease. But right. so we both, uh, you know, you know Cyrus and Robbie really well from Mastering Diabetes. Cyrus Kambada is a really good friend of mine. We've talked in depth about this. You obviously know the science as well uh, in depth about insulin resistance, and that's one of the things that they they say about the the four tests that you just named. Like a lot of people, even doctors, will say, "Hey, we've put our patients on a ketogenic diet, for example, and we have." shown that we have uh, eliminated it. We, we basically took someone from insulin resistant to insulin sensitive, but they don't do all four of those tests. And Cyrus says, look, you have to do all four of those tests, including that glucose sensitivity test, which is one that basically what they claim, anybody who's, who's passed the other three tests that we just talked about, which is, you know, you're checking your A1C, your fasting glucose, your insulin, sen- your, uh, insulin sensitivity, but it's that fourth one that they tend to fail versus the, the patients that they work with. Also, they put them on 100% whole food, plant-based diet, high carb, low fat, low protein. And, and then they say when they do all four tests, those patients pass all four tests and truly affirm that they've become insulin sensitive, which is what we want. Right. Is that also what you've seen or what you agree with? I do, although I wish we had a little more science. Um, you know, we took uh, 40 insulin resistant patients, 21 on a ketogenic diet, 21 on a Cyrus and Robbie whole food plant-based, uh, no added oil diet. And three months later, we did the two hour glucose tolerance tests. All of them seemed to improve, but let's see what the two hour glucose tolerance says. I've not seen you know, that study with those results. You know, what I tell patients, if you're not allergic and you don't eat nuts, uh, you won't have a problem, but you know, you're not cured, you're in remission because you're avoiding the uh, irritant. You know, if you can't eat carbohydrates like whole grain breads and beans and peas because your insulin resistance and your sugar rises uh, and you go on a ketogenic diet and you know, your numbers look better, go give that person a bowl of oatmeal or a black bean salad you know, if their sugar goes up, I mean, they're in remission, but they haven't resolved their carbohydrate intolerance or basically synonymous with insulin resistance, right? Well, it really, I mean, really aren't our bodies meant 
to be able to fluctuate from, you know, burning fat as fuel known as ketosis or burning, you know, glucose glycogen as fuel from carbohydrates. Aren't we designed, you know, through feast and famine, for example, let's say, you know, a hundred thousand years ago, you, you run out of food, it's winter, whatever, you don't have access to fruit and carbohydrates and things like that. So you store foods and fatty foods and nuts and whatever, you know, meats and fats and that kind of stuff through the winter. So you go, or you're, or you're fasting, let's say for days or weeks at a time, then the body literally switches to burn fat as fuel ketosis, right? So we should have that, what they call flex metabolic flexibility. The thing that I've always come come to at least theorize is, you know, ketosis in my mind is a survival mechanism. It's meant for when we don't have access to food, we can go into ketosis. We can fast for a few days if we need to, a few weeks if we need to, which is also a very healing thing to do um, to then when we have food again, but not to be in ketosis for years and years and years on end without having access. Because let's say, you know, you're in ketosis for a month, you know, through the winter, a couple of months, and then the fruits come out again, like you should be able to be metabolically flexible to go and eat those delicious fruits. Be like, oh no, I can't eat those fruits. I need to stay in ketosis. There's nobody a hundred thousand years ago that ever would have said that or thought that, right? I agree with you. And uh, that's how I, you know, surround myself and my patients. And I always fall back on Dr. Walter Longo at University of Southern California. And you know, his book, The Longevity Diet, and his amazing research and his general viewpoint on, you're right, uh, ketosis is a backup mechanism for starvation. It gets us through tough times. It does unlock some pathways we probably should periodically unlock, uh, limiting mTOR, limiting IGF-1, um, and, you know, maybe promoting autophagy, although you can't measure autophagy. So a lot of people talk about it, but you know, it's, there's no dipstick in your urine to prove you've activated, you know, autophagic pathways. Um, so, you know, he'll go fast at a low calorie program he developed for five days and then refeed because there's actually interesting benefits to gently refeeding the body. There may be some real stem cell proliferation and release healthy stem cells by right. fasting five days and then gently refeeding on day six, not gorging on day six. So, I will uh, stand by his science over, you know, uh, the internet uh, craze that's going on. <laughs> so I want to go to, um, uh, are you familiar with, I know you're familiar with Paul Saladino, carnivore MD, um, you know, his, his theory on uh, high LDL cholesterol is that it only matters if your LDL cholesterol is high in the environment of insulin resistance. Otherwise, if you're not insulin resistant, but you're technically metabolically healthy, then high LDL cholesterol does not matter, which is his, you know, justification for promoting a, you know, high meat animal based diet. What are your thoughts on that? You know, um, I am familiar with Paul. He is a doctor, I think trained as a psychiatrist. We had a little session, I think in 2018 on the doctor's show where we were uh, debating the topic of um, you know, carnivore diet. It, it was a very ugly show for him. The panel just attacked him like crazy. And, you know, he kept quoting all the science. And then when somebody actually asked him, could you actually name one paper? And there were none. It, uh, it just evolved into an ugly episode. But that makes for good Hollywood TV. It was a popular episode. Um, 
you know, it's a theory. Um, I will tell you this, you know, academic, there's a specialty called lipidology, you know, advanced cholesterol uh, medical therapy. It could be a cardiologist, could be an endocrinologist, could be an internist, and could be an gyne obstetrician gynecologist. You can get board certified. You know, and they all live on Twitter now. I mean, these are big academic people with publications. You know, they wouldn't spend 10 seconds considering Paul's theory. They would say LDL cholesterol is causal, not associated with, is causal of atherosclerosis. That's a uniform agreement across all these specialties. But noisy people get attention, you know, so... A cardiologist 10 years ago, uh, Steve Sinatra, wrote a book, The Great Cholesterol Myth with Johnny Bowden. And these books pop up periodically. Um, um, uh, Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teichels. You know, they question everything. Uh, you know, generally, if you even bother to read them, you know, very cherry-picked references, not representative. And, you know, you go to European Society of Cardiology, 2019, you know, LD, L-cholesterol is causative of atherosclerosis with hundreds of references. And, you know, all you got to do, and I mentioned it right at the beginning of our conversation, and maybe it's not a fair conclusion completely is, but there are children born with something called homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia, uh, homozygous FH, there's an FH foundation, about one in a million are born and their cholesterol from birth, or maybe by six months, you know, is, can be over 600, 800 or 1000. And there's nothing else wrong with them. And they have heart attacks at age eight, nine, 10, 11, bypass surgery, stents, you know, they could get a heart trans, they could get a liver transplant, they can get a cleansing therapy, of the blood called apheresis. Well, you got to do, and it turned out when I did my fellowship training, Dallas, Texas was the referral center in the United States for those children. And I saw a lot of them in my fellowship. You know, you weren't going to question the issue that LDL cholesterol can be pathogenic. The problem is it's not everybody. And nobody ever said the only risk factor of heart disease is cholesterol, LDL. Um, not every smoker gets lung cancer or heart attack. Not every diabetic loses a leg. And not everybody with a cholesterol at 300 and an LDL at 200 has a heart attack. The other statement is, this is a long pathway to a heart attack and a stroke. This is, you know, usually 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, if you are having bypass at 60, we could have identified the problem at age 40 in your carotid arteries or your heart arteries or your peripheral arteries at an early stage. It took all those years to build up. You know, Sean Baker, orthopedic surgeon, medical doctor. Um, started getting popular in 2017. He published his calcium score was zero. I've never seen him six years later republish it. Now would be a good time. I hope he's still zero. He's a fairly friendly guy. He served our country in the military. And I, I kind of like the guy, even though I couldn't disagree with him more. You know, he'd only been carnivore for two years. That's not enough to determine your immune from atherosclerosis. His lab values were insane in 2017, bad. Um, he did publish them, but I had never seen him publish them again. Who was uh, that? What, what was his name? Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, M-D. He oh, really had Sean Baker. Fruit. Yeah, I think he's got, he's yeah, got a you know, he just, pretty big he was born, channel. You know, he's, six, he's six foot six. He's, you know, very ripped. He's more ripped than ever. He doesn't really practice medicine anymore. So I think he works out three hours a day, although he's got a bad neck injury going on from jujitsu right now. So I don't hate the guy. I hope he heals up quick. But, you know, Sean, 
republish all your data. I want to know what your creatinine is and your uric acid and your hemoglobin A1C and your testosterone level, which was insanely low, and your cholesterol levels, which were very abnormal. Let's see your six-year follow-up. And I wish him well, but that's the only way you do science is you got to study coronary disease over years. I've never seen Saladino publish any data. There's an interesting guy on Twitter named Dave Feldman. Uh, he's an engineer who does lipid self-research and he drives his cholesterol over 500 and his LDL up. And I've seen these academic lipidologists comment on it and they just literally, they hit their head and say, this is just a dangerous message and people shouldn't do it. It does relate to the ketogenic diet. 30 to 40% roughly of people that get excited about the ketogenic diet. I mean, Saladino started carnivore, but he's liberalized his diet a bit with fruits and honey and some other uh, things that he eats. Um, but 30 yeah, I thought that I thought that was interesting that uh, yeah. Paul put out Not a book. All meat yeah. yeah, he put out a book that was all promoting basically meat-based diet, carnivore diet, and probably had hundreds of thousands of people follow that and then realized, oh, actually, I'm missing something really important, which is plants, specifically yeah. fruits, fruits that have, you know, vitamins and, and phytonutrients and amino acids and minerals that the body needs to thrive, including glucose and fructose. Right? And so now he says, well, now, now you need to eat fruits and honey as well. These are really important. It's like, well, yeah, we knew that for a very long time. And... You know, it wouldn't surprise me that at some point, I mean, I don't see him doing it, but if he were truly honest and high integrity, I think at some point in the future, he'd say, well, actually, plants aren't bad for you. He's on a big kick right now saying that vegetables and plants and stuff are going to kill you. They're bad for you. You know, the lectins and the anti-nutrients and all that stuff, which we know are not an issue in a whole food plant-based diet, you know, trying to convince everyone that they're basically plants that are, you know, meant to uh, meant to kill you at the end of the day is really what it is. And it's like, Dude, we know that's not true, but millions of people are following that advice, unfortunately. Um, right. So, but then he, you know, he switched his tune, which was, oh, no, you do need fruit in addition, you know, to, to the meat and so forth. So I wouldn't be surprised if he changes again in a few years as he continues his research. But, you know. He's not the only one that's done that. You know, there's Chris Kresser is a popular paleo advocate with a popular paleo book. I debated him on Joe Rogan in 2018, a crazy four-hour session. You know, and paleo doesn't have dairy. And paleo doesn't have legumes, but he added those back because he thought he could improve on the paleo. And if you go back and read, I think it was in the 1990s, the original kind of paleolithic author was a professor in Colorado, Lauren Cordain. L-O-R-E-N-C-O-R-D-A-I-N, PhD. In his first book, Beware High Cholesterol, Check Your Cholesterol. LDL is, you know, he wrote a paper in an academic cardiology journal. Your optimal LDL is under 50. That's a paleolithic, um, you know, level of LDL cholesterol that's optimal. But then you got Saladino and Dave Feldman driving your LDL up. So, uh, I, it's sort of pseudoscience. It's N of one research. It's too short. There's no long period of time. And basically, I think it's pretty dangerous stuff. So I found some stats that Sean Baker posted recently. Uh, let's take a look at him on his Twitter. Looks like this is recent as of June 2023. He posted his... That. Thank you for finding it. Yeah, he posted so hemoglobin A1C. A1C. 5.2, pretty good, and thyroid, pretty good, and white count, lower end of normal, but pretty typical. Um, keep going up. 
Fasting blood sugar 99 is not really ideal. Under 85 is ideal. So I, if he did a two-hour glucose tolerance test, I bet you it would spike up. Interestingly, the three labs that were really worrisome in the past was his testosterone, his creatinine, and his lipid panel. And I don't see those there. I don't see it here either. I don't know if he posted somewhere else, but. No, interesting. CGM data, some, you know, some recent labs. Show them all, Sean. Um, I do want to circle back, you know, just pure cardiology. Um, we talked about some labs to ask for from your doctor. I just want to at least make sure this goes, you know, in the recording. Um, beyond that, just everybody pause for a minute. It, depending on your age, when you get to be about 45, your primary care doc is going to say, women mammogram, men prostate checks, everybody colonoscopy, women cervical cancer screening. And if you've been a smoker, they might start to suggest it's called low dose chest CT to make sure you don't have a nodule in your lung from your smoking exposure. So we screen for five cancers. But at age 45, 50, 55, and 60, what primary care doctor says, Joe or Jane, we're going to screen for silent heart disease. It's the number one. Take those five cancers, put them together. Heart disease will more likely kill you than those five cancers combined. And it just doesn't exist in the American medical system. There's something called the U.S. Preventive Task Force that kind of puts out recommendations to primary care docs. The insurance companies pick up on those recommendations. They won't even let you do an electrocardiogram on your annual visit, which is by no means a good test. They won't pay for a stress test, which is really not a good screening test. But everybody should know that you can take $100 or $50 and go to your local hospital and get a heart calcium CT scan at age 45, 42, 48. If you're a premenopausal woman in good health, maybe you want to push it a, a little bit later. And without any injection, without any IV, without any um, pain, claustrophobia, or risk, you can have a CT scan of your heart that takes about 10 seconds, painless. You go home and you get a report and you want a heart calcium score of zero. This is what everybody should have at least once in your mid 40s. And just like colonoscopy, if you got a perfect result, do it again in five to 10 years. If you're a type two diabetic, hypertensive, high cholesterol, smoker, strong family history, maybe five years. You know, If you're just doing it all right, maybe 10 years, prove that you're a zero again. And it's so inexpensive. It was developed in 1990, 6,000 research articles. It's already shown that anything your doctor does on a little calculator, Joe or Jane, you've got a 7% risk of a heart attack in the next 10 years. The CT scan is more accurate. It takes people that look good and identifies that they have silent heart disease, calcium in their arteries. We call that hardening in the arteries. And it takes people that look high risk on paper and puts them at low risk. So they don't need a statin and they don't need an aspirin and they just need lifestyle. And this is all endorsed by the American Heart Association, but it hasn't been picked up by the primary care community, hasn't really been picked up by the cardiology community after 33 years of the first scientific publication. Some people know the name, Dr. Arthur Agenston. He's a cardiologist in Miami and he's the uh, author of the South Beach Diet series of books and foods but he developed the software program. So we call it an Agatston score. And you want your Agatston score to be zero. And I'm, I'm 64 and a half, mine is zero. Hope to keep it that way uh, for the rest of my years.
but I'm not so bold as to say I've been plant-based for 46 years. I'm not going to check because there's so many factors, insulin resistance, inflammation, genetics, environmental toxins, air pollution, plastics, PFAS, PFAS, you know, poor sleep, uh, you know, stress, um, on and on. So, you know, you just do the check. So I just wanted to throw that in as a plea to everybody. Your doctor probably has to write your script. If you live in Cleveland, it's actually a free test at the university hospital. If you live in Texas, the insurance companies do pay for it routinely, but most other states should just pay an extremely small amount of money for a test uh, that is so definitive in identifying your true risk. And if it's very high, you want to get you know help from either a preventive cardiologist or an integrative cardiologist. And Heart, um, calcium, uh, CT scan. You want your score to be zero. What's high? What's considered high? Oh, well, there's there's cutoff point. Anything over zero is actually a bit of a concern. You're building plaque. You know, over 100 is certainly a cutoff. Over 400 is a cutoff. Over 1,000 is a cutoff. You know, the risk of heart attack in the next 10 years jumps and jumps and jumps. Mm. The most recent benchmark published in the last six months from a UCLA professor and his colleagues is if you have a calcium score over 300, you're asymptomatic, you're playing pickleball, you're traveling. If it's over 300, your next 10 years, you have the same risk of a heart attack or cardiac death as somebody who's already had a heart attack. So all those people who've had a heart attack are at the cardiology office. And all those people with a calcium score over 300 don't know they have it. They're not getting tested or they're getting tested and they're not told that their risk is equivalent to somebody who's already suffered a full-blown medically documented heart attack. And it's an easy test. Your local hospital, your university hospital offers it. Um, internationally, it's available. Is there is there proof um, that you can remove plaque from your arteries with a plant-based diet? That's a great question, one I love to talk about. So um, the most current understanding of uh, atherosclerosis in general, heart artery blockage particularly, and just show that ugly model, is it's a combination of at least two kinds of plaque that cardiologists call hard, calcified, bone-like plaque. That's what you pick up on the CT scan called the coronary artery calcium score. And there's something called soft plaque, no calcium plaque fatty plaque. You won't see it on that CT scan. That's the only downside to the $50 or $100 coronary calcium scan is if you're a zero, you're in good shape. But if your number's over zero, you may have some of that soft plaque you can't see. To answer your question, the calcium doesn't go away. If your calcium score is 100, it's not next year going to be 50 with a plant-based diet. It's not going to be 50 with Lipitor. It's not going to be 50 with a training program. It probably will slowly wander up. Hopefully you can slow that down, but slowly wander up. But the soft pla fatty plaque can be dissolved. And when I read Dr. Ornish's classic research, Dr. Esselstyn's classic research, Joel Furman's published papers on this, I think they were dissolving soft plaque. They just didn't have the technology to measure it. This is worth three minutes you know, on record. Um, you, you get a calcium score of 200 and you see somebody like me and I'm going to tell you, um, we don't know two things. We just know you have a problem. We don't know how narrowed your heart arteries are because the calcium report can't tell you that. And we don't know how much soft plaque you have because the calcium score can't see that. 
And if you want to go to the next step, you can have a more advanced CT scan widely available called a coronary CT angiogram. They will put in an IV at your local hospital. They'll give you iodine dye. If you're not allergic, you'll feel hot for 20 seconds. Iodine dye is not radioactive, but it's a CT scan. And you will get a Band-Aid and go home. If you have an insurance covered reason, it might be paid for, but many of my patients pay seven to $800, sometimes $500 out of pocket to get this more advanced CT scan. All of a sudden, you know every area of how much narrowing, how much soft plaque, how much hard plaque. And the real advance has been a software company I have no financial ties to called Clearly Health, C-L-E-E-R-L-Y health.com. And I have my patients go get their CT angiogram in San Francisco or Miami or Detroit or New York. And we mail the study on a CD to Clearly Health. They charge $750, $800. So we're talking now $1,500 advanced test. You get a report no cardiologist has ever had until two and a half years ago. Every area of the arteries, how badly narrowed, read by artificial intelligence uh, algorithm computer, and how much hard black, how much soft black. And the cool thing is my patients are doing that if they want to, it's always their choice. They're, they're doing everything right. Diet, fitness, sleep, vitamins, supplements, cholesterol, lab values. And two years later, we're repeating the test and the soft plaque is just shrinking and shrinking. So I'm basically with any patient now, I can be Dr. Dean Ornish doing that study, but I've got a technology so precise, so personal and so available, but you know, there's a financial restriction, there's radiation concerns. If they can go three years, we'll wait three years. If they're really ugly data, we might even wait just a year and go back. Do you, company publish, has, do you publish these case studies anywhere? Uh, yeah, I've written on them. I haven't published in the academic world, but the cardiologists and others behind Clearly Health have published series of 2,000, 1,000. I mean, there's big, big studies published with all these pictures of soft plaque going down. So but specifically uh, on a plant-based diet and lifestyle changes or, or that's not going to be what the clearly health people are going to be talking about. They're going to be talking about how much statin, how much additional cholesterol medicine, you know, the lifestyle oriented ones, even in my own practice, if you've got a lot of soft plaque, you're going to do full bore plant-based full bore fitness, lifestyle, sleep supplements, you're going to end up on prescription drugs and just to bring back Paul Saladino, you know, in the cardiology world since 2019, if you have evidence of plaque or hard plaque, soft plaque, you've had a bypass, you've had a stent, the goal LDL, you know, these guys are pushing their LDL to 300. The goal LDL in the academic world is an LDL less than 55 will start to shrink your plaque. And clearly health has data like that in other societies. So it's very hard to get your LDL cholesterol under 55. You might have a total cholesterol of 95 with a plant-based diet alone, even the most pristine Dr. Esselstyn style diets. It's hard to get that low. He wasn't shooting that low uh, when he started his studies and published his books. This is you know newer guidelines, newer uh, goals. So it's usually diet plus diet plus right 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 which is you're talking exercise low, sleep low stress dose. reduction yeah, removal of toxins yeah and the pharmacology of cholesterol control 
has expanded. We have way more options than we did five, six, seven years ago. And I hate to use them, but I'm not going to deny somebody, you know, the most aggressive approach to prevent, you know, future stent heart attack and bypass. And now we can actually show them it's working. So I've seen that in my own clinic and a dramatic shrinking of plaque. It absolutely happens. So you use statins with, with the diet and lifestyle approach. Is that primarily what you do? In these people that have bulky advanced plaque, I will. Uh, I'll tell you a little trick there because probably some of your listeners are on a statin. But the good news is not just me, but even the American Heart Association and other similar organizations around the world. If you go for if you're on you're on Lipitor because your gynecologist, your family doctor said a good idea at age 42, you go for a calcium score, it comes back zero. These organizations say that's a good opportunity not to be on a statin. You know, embrace lifestyle. You don't have detectable disease. You don't need a pharmacologic drug. It may help you. There's something in medicine called number needed to treat. You know, you may have to put 500 people on a statin that have a calcium score of zero to help one person avoid a heart attack. That's just a random number I'm throwing out there. That's a lot of people that put on medicine and side effects to help one person. That but reminds me of the that reminds me of the COVID study. But anyway, go on. <laughs> but if you got somebody with, you know, calcium scores or these CT angiograms clearly help. Uh, it takes many fewer patients, maybe 12, treat 12 people, help one prevent a heart attack in a relatively short time. And uh, just what I do in my clinic is I use the lowest possible dose of a statin. And people may not like this, but there's a second prescription drug called ezetimibe. It used to be called Zetia, Z-E-T-I-A been available for 20 years, very safe drug, not a statin, works completely different. If you put the two together, you get that low cholesterol level with half the side effects of just using Lipitor or Crestor like cardiologists and doctors like. And now in the last 18 months from Korea and Poland and other parts of the world, this combination approach, they're both generic, they're inexpensive, is showing many fewer side effects, much better tolerated but it's shown that it's shrinking the plaque, the soft plaque much more uh, effectively. So in my clinic, it's low dose statin with a second drug. It's always kind of combination therapy and the patients enjoy it and their lab values are spectacular. And when we repeat their studies, we're hoping to see you know major reversals. So these are all the nuances of kind of cutting edge, I call it you know preventive reversal cardiology. And not all of it is sprouts and you know, uh, black lentils and, uh, but you're obviously going to maximize the response if you just take a, you know, like a switchblade, use all the blades on this bad disease. Mm, like a Swiss army knife approach. <laughs> yep. There you go. So, um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, you know, I remember, um, listening to RFK first talk about the, uh, Pfizer vaccine study and how we were told that, you know, it was a hundred percent effective, right? Then it was 80, 70, 60 fit, right? The numbers just kept going down and down over time. And how, when you look at that study, it actually showed that you needed 22, I think it was 22,000 doses to basically save one life. So this is, you just made me think of this when you said like, yeah, you could, you have to prescribe so many amount of drugs to basically save one person's life. Uh, that's basically what that study said, but we weren't told that, that you needed, you know, 22,000 doses of people to get the vaccine to save one person's life. But that same study showed 
that it was something like five people, four or five people actually died of other causes during that trial as well. So it was like you save one life from COVID with 22,000 doses, but five people died of other causes. Some would say they died, you know, those diseases came because of the side effects of the vaccine. But yeah, they were, you know, that is published data. I think the New England Journal of Medicine, that's the initial Pfizer randomized study that was supposed to go three years, placebo versus uh, the mRNA vaccine. At two months, they stopped the study and they gave all the placebo people the vaccine. So they completely ended the ability to follow long-term. How did these two groups do? You just had a eight week window. But when they looked at six months, um, there were, just as you said, I'm not even sure there was one death, but there were more events in the vaccinated arm and those deaths included heart attacks. Most of those five you're talking about, I think were cardiac events yep. compared to the placebo. And that just was never you know, uh, uh, shared widely with the public, You know that these are the actual numbers. You know, until this day, people are still saying, don't worry, your vaccine will prevent the spread and your child won't give it to grandma and grandpa. And we know that's not true. It's an individual decision on whether the vaccine is going to prevent, you know, severe COVID and maybe fatal COVID. But when you're talking, you know, teenagers and children and young adults, as I mentioned to you before we clicked the record, I just got off uh, a consult. I have to be a little careful to make sure I don't reveal who, but a young nationally ranked baseball player um, who everybody hopefully will hear about because of his career in a good way, but due to a mandatory vaccine rule he had to take, he's having, you know, severe problems right now and the workup is underway and, you know, it's tragic. And, you know, if you say how many 19 year olds need, you know, would you need to treat with a vaccine to prevent one fatal COVID episode? Um, when you could just treat with nasal irrigation, gargling, vitamin D, quercetin, zinc, vitamin C, God forbid, talk about controversial ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and the rest. Um, you know, how many do you need to treat? I mean, the number is so biased against, you know, not moving down that pathway of vaccination, but you know, that's just science. Well, we're not allowed to talk science. I mean, I spent 10 months kicked off Twitter and LinkedIn because I would post these questions and got, you know, social media spanked. I'm back on. Thank you, Elon and others. But um, they should be asked. We ask it all the time. I and mean, right now, there's all this conversation going on about Wagovi, Ozempic, safety, scaring data. Um, we're allowed to debate that, you know, in the public sphere and in the medical world. But there was one topic we were never allowed to debate in the last four years, and nobody yet, you know, really has a complete explanation why, other than follow the money is always, you know, a fallback. Well, so same thing happened to me. I was just sharing science uh, and got my account shut down. Facebook jail, YouTube shut me down for eight months. You know, and these were I was just reporting on published papers, right? Um, and so they obviously didn't want any of that information out there. Well, still to this day. So I just got a notice from YouTube that says we've demonetized your account for, for harmful content. And I looked at the harmful content terms and I don't have one video that fits any harmful content. 
And so I've been back and forth with them five times now. Please show me my videos that have harmful content. And they won't show me them. They just say, oh, it's, it's all spread throughout your channel. So, the, you know, there is no actual evidence of harmful content. But in their other terms, they do have, um, you know, medical misinformation. That's not what they said, though. That's not under harmful content. And everything on my channel is backed by science. I can show, I can back it up with something from the uh, published journals. Well, what they've now published recently, is my specialty has been in independent cancer research for over a decade. So a lot of my videos are about cancer specifically and cancer prevention and, and how to empower the body to fight cancer naturally. Well, now they've said as of August 15th or something, they're coming after cancer content on YouTube. And they, I read on their website, they've partnered with Mayo Clinic, which is primarily conventional medicine based. You're talking drugs, chemotherapy, radiation, and the WHO. So for whatever reason, if whatever you're sharing isn't agreed upon by, which we know is a very corrupt organization, the WHO, and the Mayo Clinic, which is, you know, the you know, biggest supporter of drugs and therapies, conventional medicine, if it doesn't fit within their standards, then it's considered medical misinformation. And um, so they've demonetized, you know, my, my entire channel and they won't give me any direct evidence as to why. It's, it's still insane to me to this day. I never used the word before on. dystopian, but dystopian is a word that describes what we're going through. You know, and not everybody listening today loves Russell Brand, but if you ever listen to his podcast, um, you know, his first 15 minutes are very uh, pablum, non-controversial. And then he says goodbye to the YouTube crowd and <laughs> goes to rumble. getting kicked off and he finishes his conversation on his, you know, audio podcast or rumble. And then he goes deep on a topic and, you know, to have to do that, to self-censor yourself, you know, uh, most of us are pretty offended by it who've, you know, spent, I mean, I'm a clinical cardiologist, but I have a pretty strong academic career and publications. And you know, this just, this just has never, we, we argued about statins and we argued about bypass or angioplasty and we debated. And these were the most popular formats in medical conferences were the debates, uh, the diet wars, but there's one topic, you can't do that. And it hasn't uh, eased up to much degree yet so well it's well, it's, it's it's two now so it's covid and cancer they've never done this before on cancer so as of august 15 2023 this is now new which is concerning because and, and they're specifically people can go read this on web on youtube's website or on google's website uh under the terms medical misinformation policies and so the concern and so they're basically coming after natural approaches for cancer and they have a whole list of things you can't say and you can't share and and if at all you're promoting natural medicine and dissuading people from any kind of conventional medicine they will delete your videos and shut you down the concern for me so my focus has been helping people with cancer right the concern for me is now that they're they've basically duplicated the script from covid to cancer What's going to stop them from coming after heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, all the other things to basically try and silence any natural or functional approaches um, based in science for helping people 
you know, have options. That's, that's really, that's the only thing I care about is like, here's the information, here's the science, here's the education, here's solutions. So you are informed so you can actually know your options and then make an educated decision, which is what doctors are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to inform their patients of all their options like you do, but most doctors unfortunately aren't educated in all their options. And uh, clearly the powers that be don't want people to know these alternative options even exist. Absolutely. And, you know, well, we can only hope and pray that uh, maybe we defund the World Health Organization or we withdraw. Um, but, you know, it's still their alignment with YouTube is very concerning. And you mentioned Google. And, you know, I don't want to be a spreader of bad news, but people should look a guy, up a guy named Robert Epstein, Ph.D., who's got a research project, sort of like James O'Keefe in the former Veritas, but Robert Epstein's research project is on Google and Google Analytics. And he's been on Joe Rogan and he was recently on Russell Brand. And if you've got a Gmail account, you should go look up Robert Epstein and review his website. It's an eye opener without going deep into it. And, you know, eat a bowl of broccoli while you're doing that, you know, bring it back to healthy lifestyle. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about labs. We've talked about early testing. We've talked about documenting reversal of heart disease. I mean, those are the key critical topics of 2023 that are exciting and get overlooked. I mean, they, they can make such an impact, you know, warp speed, heart disease prevention would be, you know, early lab testing, early uh, artery imaging, early documentation of reversal um, you know, it's an aggressive program, uh, but where, you know, with cancer, we'll spend a hundred thousand dollars on, you know, one dose of a drug, you know, even if you go crazy with labs and CT angiograms and calcium scores, you might spend a couple thousand dollars on your health. If, even if you pay out of pocket, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, if you're, if you're, if you have a cancer diagnosis, your risk for heart disease goes up exponentially. I think the number one yeah. death of cancer patients who have lived past 10 years is not actually cancer. They don't die from cancer. They die from heart disease. So right. that's why heart disease is such an important topic to understand and get a handle on and understanding of and get ahead of, you know, through these diet and lifestyle changes. So as we wrap up here, what are some kind of key points like what are principles of diet lifestyle things that you can kind of share with people if they want to prevent heart disease yeah you know the american heart association came out this year with an upgrade they used to have something called life simple seven now it's called uh, the essential eight and they're kind of boring topics the new one they added was sleep quality the recognition that the last decade has been an explosion of data short sleep, long sleep, fragmented sleep, sleep apnea sleep, just connected with any disease we've talked about from metabolic insulin resistance, heart disease, cancer, obesity, dementia. Uh, and the others are blood pressure, cholesterol, smoking, quality of diet, fitness, genetics, family history. Um, you know, and you gotta go through that list and ask yourself, you know, you and I, I think both agree that the massive data is not Saladino or Baker, it's whole food, plant-based diets as high quality, as home cooked, as unprocessed, as colorful as possible. But that's not enough to me. You know, you need to know your lipoprotein A and your calcium score. And uh, I have patients that are the most devout advocates of uh, lifestyle and plant-based eating, and they're still dealing with atherosclerosis because genetics are a big factor. And 
you know, most of uh, those genetic inputs can be measured in lab values or cheek swabs or other ways of getting at it. So, um, you know, these advanced approaches, we need to attack this disease. So, you know, do not assume you're okay just because you came off the pickleball court. Get checked. Yeah, that's, I was, as I was researching heart disease, I, I remember coming across a statistic, you tell me if this is accurate or not, that something like 50%, which is why it's called the silent killer, right? 50% of people who die from heart attacks actually don't know that they have heart disease. Is that accurate? Yeah. It might even be higher, but it's absolutely true. You know, uh, there's a last six months, a major study in Denmark where they just uh, about age 45 to 50, they applied that advanced CT scan, the one with the iodine, the coronary CT angiogram to just 25,000 people in Copenhagen. And about 50% of people are walking around with unknown, undetected coronary disease. And about 10%, it's actually quite advanced and quite severe. And even if we just took those Jeez. 10% and that's got crazy. them a program, that's where the bulk of the heart attacks, bypass, and stents are going to be. So, you know, all of you listening, you know, if you're 28 years old, this is a great time to adopt a healthy lifestyle. But if you're in your 40s, approaching 50 or beyond, you know, those are the statistics, you know, don't assume. If you get nothing else but that $50 calcium CT scan and you come back at zero, you know, have a little party with broccoli sprouts. And if you uh, are high, you know, dig deep, read a lot and don't read Saladino and don't read Dave Feldman and don't read John Baker, please. <laughs> well, if people want to uh, learn more from you, read your books, you know, connect with you, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, I am, you know, a busy clinician. Um, and I'm proud of that. I'm going to do that as long as I can. Uh, I'm in Detroit, but I'm licensed in half the states of the United States. So I can reach out to people authentically uh, and not do it in a hidden way, do it in a above board way and order stuff. But it's drjoelkahn.com, D-R-J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N.com. Take it in my podcast, my clinic, my blogs, and um, you know, been doing this a long time. Awesome. Joel, thanks so much. Uh, this time flew by. I mean, I'd love to talk to yes. you. There's so many more things we can talk about, but uh, I know you're busy. You got patients to get back to. So thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate the audience and uh, go Nathan Crane. Awesome. Thanks. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved.
There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful what, for what you have achieved.